You're listening to Speaker's Corner with Alfie Joey. Tips, tools and tactics for speaking in public in many different ways from a diverse range of guests. These titans of talking from the world of business, politics, podcasts, TED Talks and showbiz share their stories to help you improve your own confidence and communication skills. Please welcome your host, Alfie Joey. Today's guest, Dr. Morris Duffy. He used to be a regular guest on BBC Newcastle when I was there. Not on my show. I was always really uh, annoyed and trying to poach him and accused of trying to poach him, which I was. I thought he was just inspirational, especially during COVID, where people needed a bit of support and a lifeline and some kind of positivity. He provides that in abundance. He works with politicians. He works with sports people. He's a dynamic, passionate speaker. He's from Ireland. And that's it. Let's get on with the conversation. I'm with Dr. Morris Duffy, who is a behaviourist, a mindset coach, a presenter, a public speaker, an advisor to governments, to sports people, and he's a good friend. Hello, Morris. Hey, Alfie. How are you doing? I'm very good. Welcome to the public uh, speaking podcast, Speaker's Corner. Um, I knew when I was setting this up, you'd have to be a guest because I'm a big fan of your work on the radio. I'm a big fan of the things you do as well. I, I find the whole area of behaviorism and, you know, mindset very interesting. How did you get into all that? It's not something you want to do when you're growing up. Uh, well, it, it's funny because I, I started life, uh, I went through corporate and I was mm. an ambitious corporate climber. I was one of those guys with the suit and the tie. And I met a guy that came to work for me. Right? Um, and uh, Bill McAmey, he was Professor Bill McAmey. And he wrote a book called The Frankenstein Manager. Yeah. And he wasn't about me, right? <laughs> but he, he, said, he said to me, he says, uh, Morris, why do you do what you do? And I was kind of curious as to what he meant. And he says, you have a gift of, you know, being outgoing, connecting with people, presenting. He says, did you ever think about being a coach? And I said, that thought had never crossed my mind. And then kind of serendipity kicked in. Because Peter Widmar, who was the first guy in history to score a perfect 10 on the pommel horse, nice. gold medal at the Olympics, asked me to help him. And he said afterwards, he says, do you ever think about being a coach? And I said, no. So you right. had a client without knowing you had yeah. a client? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, he wasn't paying me at the time, yeah. right? But, <laughs> but, I, but I learned a lot through the process. I learned a huge amount from him. I did a lot of work with him afterwards. Um, so then I went on and worked with other people and worked with sports people and worked with CEOs. And these days, you know, I'm a coach. Yeah. When you were younger... Was was public speaking something, I mean, I don't want to stereotype, but it's a very positive archetype. Irish people are great storytellers and it's it's innate in the culture. Well, I, you know, I, it's not something I really talk about a lot, but I had three uncles who were priests. Right, and I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking. I'm talking. I'm talking to the religious fraternity at this present time. But I had three uncles who were priests. My dad liked to kind of speak and and to perform. But you know, I I did some acting when I was at school. I, in fact, you've just reminded me. I won the All Ireland One Act Right Drama. I've forgotten about this, which was called Over the Wall. Right. Was um, this a monologue? Yeah, my, yeah, uh, and yeah. and uh, when we were probably in our late late teens, early twenties, yeah. and and I've never really done any acting, but 
I do like to talk, and I, yeah. I'm still surprised that people are prepared to pay me to talk. <laughs> You're very passionate when you do talk. You believe in what you say. Um, how much preparation goes into that, and how much is instinctive? Um, I, I like to prepare. So, um, you know, if you ask Karen, my wife, she will tell you that before I present, I'm impossible. Right? Um, I, I get really nervous. Um, I get really agitated. Um, uh, but I always prepare, but then I, I like it to be instinctive. So I try and bin the preparation, but I like to have stuff prepared uh, because I want to be able to say, you know, I made the effort, I'm respectful to the audience, I want to make sure I understand the audience, and I want to make sure that the messaging that I want to get across, which I think is important, yeah. right, has relevance to them and, and engages them. So in other words, the more you prepare... Sometimes the less you need to use. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, absolutely. So I will have lots of slides, and and I don't use slides. I mean, I mean pictures and videos and yeah. stories, images. Yeah, and yeah. lots of stuff that I that I will try to use, but then I will bin a lot of it because, again, you have to shape to the audience, mm. but you don't really know the audience until you stand in front of the audience and you begin to kind of interact with them. Yeah. You know, I ran a. Uh, a sales organization, you know, I worked as a senior executive of 23,000 salespeople around the world. And I used to say to salespeople all the time is you cannot sell unless you can buy. You've got to understand the buying process. So therefore, we, we would go through a process of trying to understand the buyer. But I used to go into so many sales presentations. And I'd say going in the door, we don't want to present. That's the last thing. But we've spent weeks preparing to present mm. but I want to get out of this room without having presented and they used to ask me and say why and I said because then we've got the other person talking yeah and if we have a way of getting the other person talking and we're engaging with the other audience then everybody will buy of somebody they like yeah. right and that's the process can we get in there can we get them to talk about the things that are relevant to them can we engage with them can we demonstrate our expertise and then we don't need to sell when do you know you've you've hit home? When do you know you've got the message across? Just because you just said you 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 heavily prepare, you know what the message is, and say you go and knock it out the park and you leave some of the material that you prepared you don't need to use it, but the essence, the cream at the top, if you like, is the message, the impact you want to create. How do you know when you've hit a home run? Uh, I tell from their body language, I tell from their smiles, I tell from their engagement. You know, in, in, in every audience, not everybody will like you. Yeah. yeah you, so you, you've got to accept that there will always yeah. be one or two. And what tends to happen is we tend to focus on those one or two. Yeah. And they, to an extent, they're, because they're not responding effectively, mm. it, it diminishes us. And, and it kind of makes us almost go back into ourselves. You know, it's not an easy thing presenting. Mm. It's not, you know, it's not to me. It's not difficult, but it's scary still. Yeah. But but I want it to be scary. This is what I tell people when they're presenting. I want it to be scary because when it's scary, I'm prepared. I'm on the ball. I'm energized. The heart rate's up, and I care. Yeah, yeah. And controlling the controllables is, is something a phrase you hear about in in sport a lot. Uh, I'm going to use that phrase with presentation in mind so you've you've got your presentation it's on your laptop you've got a clicker but there are still things that can and do go wrong whether it's the lights the sound the stage isn't quite right the sight lines 
How do you deal with that? Have you got a favourite environment? Or somewhere, say there was somebody listening who were putting together a public speaking gig. What, what advice would you give? You know, I, I remember being um, in London, 10,000 people. Anyway, we had, and this is going back, I'm old now, but this is going back when you had satellite links, yes, right? Um, yes. And we had satellite links around the world to Australia, to Canada, and I had all these senior people coming in. They were all going to talk the talk. Yeah. Um, so I'm walking out on stage and, you know, you've got the earpiece yeah. in there and, and you're listening to it. And all I can hear is some bad language. Right, which things are going horribly wrong, right? So you're walking out into that stage, you're smiling, right? And all you can hear, and all I can hear is the satellite systems have gone down, right? So I've got nothing. Yeah. I've got absolutely nothing. And my advice to anybody in that situation, because things will go wrong, yeah. is start asking people questions, because they'll always answer. Yeah. Right? I, I will go and start asking questions. Right, I will always have four or five questions yeah, that I to want the to the audience, yeah, yeah to try and yeah. engage them, right, to buy time in order for some things to yeah, be fixed. Yeah. Right, the other thing is, you know, it's not about faking it, right, until mm. you make it, but it's also about not allowing those things to intimidate mm. you. It's about maintaining the presence. You know, when when we teach people about presenting, I often bring actors in. Mm. And they talk about breathing and controlling your breathing. They'll talk about the energy that you need to bring to it. You know, before you go out on stage, get the breathing right. Before you go out on stage, jump up and down three or four times, stretch yourself, do all of those things because you're getting your heart rate up and you're getting excited. Um, but for me, when I present, I also, I never present behind, uh, um, uh, what do you call a box? Uh, oh, lectern. Lectern, yeah. Lectern, yeah, yeah. yeah. I never, behind, I never. I hate it, hate it with a passion, because if I'm standing there, I start driving it, right? So I hate that with a passion. Um, I don't like to have anything in my hand, because as you can see now, I'm expressive. So you prefer a headset mic and your hands free? Hands free, and then the first thing I do is I go straight into the audience. I always go straight into the audience. You leave the stage, physically walk down amongst them. Yes, absolutely. I walk into them, around them, I welcome them, I smile at them, I tap them. And the reason being is I want to engage with them, but I also want them to feel my presence. And I also want them to know I own this room. I'm in control. You know, there's nothing here that scares me. And the other piece, which is always funny... I always go towards the back door, so for the latecomers coming in, yeah. I'll say hello and push them to the front, right? And well, say, yeah, and then all yeah. those people who are sitting at the back, I'll say, I'm presenting from here for the rest of this, and they're thinking, oh, I wish I'd gone to the front. Brilliant. And it, I suppose that turns it into a conversation and takes it away from being one man in the distance, on the stage, I can tune out. They can't tune out when you're having a conversation that close with oh, them. Uh, again, you know, on a, on a half-day workshop, you know, I've been tracked. I'll tend to do 78 miles walking. So that's constant walking <laughs> in the group, pacing everywhere. Oh, yeah, because, again, you know, uh, I... Um, I, I, I'm going back and I remember in a presentation and I remember somebody saying, you know, uh, saying to me, you know, I was asking a question, you know, what, what do you think? And they says, you know, I don't know what to think, but what I do want is whatever you had for breakfast, right? <laughs> and again, the, the point being, it's that yeah. energy, it's that passion, it's that belief, it's that whole engagement yeah. to me is really important. This is obviously the, the final package, the, the, the Morris we know now. Um, it takes a while to get there. What did you learn along the way? What did you leave behind? What mistakes did you make? Oh, I think that the first thing is, you know, when you're thought, they'll tell you how to stand. They'll tell you where to stand. 
they'll tell you, you know, the formula for presenting. Uh, and I just cannot do that. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, that, that, that to me was totally alien. Trying to do that to me, you know, I just felt constrained. Yeah. I felt ha- absolutely held back. But, but again, that was the training. Yeah. Um, and and, and that, that kind of, that, that was the mistakes that I was making at that time. Mm. Uh, second thing is I then started using slides yeah. and slides with lots of words. And then I've discovered I was reading or I was waiting for people to get up and that didn't work either for me. Uh, so those, those were kind of two things. The other point, which was, you know, some people will tell you body language is not important. And I'll say body language is everything. You know, how open you are, how engaged you are, how willing you are to pull the audience in, how prepared you are to stand up. You know, because body language to me is 68% of communication. So, you know, 68% of the message that you're sending is how your body is responding. But the one thing that I learned more than anything else that I use again and again with sports people is visualisation. Just just explain, because I find this very interesting. Oh, well, for visualization for me, so, you know, the person that I'm probably most famous associated with these days uh, is Steve Smith, the, uh, the cricketer, yeah. uh, one of the best batsmen in the world, captain of Australia. I had the pleasure and I have had the pleasure of working with him for many, many years. Um, and he will sit and he will see the game. So he will see himself getting up in the morning. He will see himself where he's going to have his breakfast. He will see himself getting on the bus. He will see himself what music he's playing. He will see himself in the dressing room. He will see himself tying his shoes. And then if you watch him, he will see himself walking out. And then at the line, he will stop before he goes out. And then he will embrace the atmosphere. And then he'll see himself going out there. And he will visualize every single thing. Now, you know, Roger Federer says, you know, um, you know when he plays tennis, he says, you know, he says, I never think. He says, I just go to the movies, which means he's visualised the shot. Yeah. Pele, you know, an hour and a half before he went out to play, he used to lie in the dressing room, put a cloth over his head, right, and replay every goal he scored. And all of that wow. is preparation. Now, also these days, you know... What I've, is that... To, what is it preparing? Is it... What, is that preparing your mind to do that more instinctively? Uh, so my coaching in sports primarily is to teach them not to think. I, I don't want them thinking. I want them, you know, that muscle memory. I want them in the moment. I want them playing on instinct because they've done all the training. They've done all the preparation. When they think, that's a problem for me. Um, the point about visualization is, 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 is twofold. Our mind, in actual fact, believes it's in the game. And if you do it properly, and we work really, really hard on visualization, you know, they're, they're, your mind then starts actually believing it's doing it. And then all I'm asking you to do is to go out and repeat it. So it was funny, uh, we were talking earlier on about, uh, you know, a 14-year-old footballer yes. that I teach. And when I was uh, coaching, and I, when I was going through the process with him, you know, I was saying to him, you know, tell me about your game, tell me what words you He says, I'm a bit weak on my left. I said, tell me who you support. And he says, uh, Liverpool. And I says, what I want you to do now is to spend five minutes visualising every single day that what you're doing is you're going past one player, you're going past a second player, and then on that left-hand foot, you're just putting it past Alice and the Liverpool goalkeeper. I want you to do that again and again. In your mind. In your mind. And that will give you confidence to actually go and do it because what happens is once you start believing that that's a weakness, right, then it's really important 
that we address it and we call it kind of positive affirmation. How do you posit- positively affirm, right, the, 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 the message that you're trying to get across? So I teach, you know, all the time mental reflection. I teach uh, meditation. I teach visualization. All of these things are tools. And then before I go out to present, mm. I stand in that room. I see the audience. I look around the room. I'll see what parts of the room I'm going to dominate. I'll see people coming in there. I'll see them and visualize them coming through the door. I'll visualize them sitting down. I'll visualize where I'm going to go. And last time, if you remember, you and I presented, I visualized myself as Mrs. Brown (laughs) running across the audience floor holding a microphone. (laughs) We'll have to explain that after the break. Let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The North East Nipple Project is a not-for-profit organisation founded by two North East permanent makeup artists, Megan Jones and Amanda Patterson. Their aim is to provide free areola tattooing for women who've undergone a mastectomy and breast reconstruction as a result of breast cancer to help regain confidence and empower these courageous women. To register for this service or to donate, visit their website www.northeastnipples.co.uk and follow on Instagram at Northeast Nipple Project. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. You join me with Dr. Morris Duffy. Uh, before the break, we were chatting about uh, a, a gig we both presented at. Public speaking uh, is our subject. And we were at a, a big fundraiser that you set up every year, the Shamrock Ball. Three charities benefited. But you had this wacky idea of, and I think it's worth exploring this if you don't mind, of uh, you, you hired me to look at your character development and I didn't know what it was going to be. And I come to your house and you answer the door dressed as Mrs. Brown from the sitcom, Mrs. Brown's Boys. Just explain why why you did this. There was a bet at stake. Uh, yeah, so we were trying to raise money for charity and uh, a good friend of mine says, I can't come, but if you dress up as Mrs. Brown and send me the <laughs> photographs, yeah, I'll pay a fairly significant sum, which he did. Um, so I dressed up as Mrs. Brown, yeah. right? Um, but, you know, part of it, being Mrs. Brown and, and, and acting Mrs. Brown, I found easier than yeah. being Morris Duffy <laughs> because having the wig and playing a persona, hiding, uh, hiding behind it. Whereas when you're out there mm. on your own and, you know, you have 100 people, you have 1,000 people, you have 5,000 people, yeah. they walk through that door at 9 o'clock in the morning, they're with you until 5 o'clock in the evening. You know, you have a responsibility to engage them, yeah. to motivate them, um, to teach them, to help them to unlearn, it's to you. help them to learn, and, and it's down to you yeah. and them. And, and that relationship is really, really important. And any relationship is based upon, you know, a single, the single most important thing is that you're wis- willing to listen to them. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know this, Alfie, that in audiences, you know, even their silence tells you something. Yeah, yeah. It can be the poignancy or the, you know, the moment to make them think or to challenge them. Just very quickly, the Mrs. Brown's boy thing. Uh, the, the thing that I remember most about that was we're in your house now. And on the day you had the costume on. And a couple of times we'd break out of another chat and you forgot you were still in costume and I just started laughing. But then about halfway through, we'd rehearsed it and we were improvising and adding new bits. And then you just shouted, a builder down, your wife, the, the lady who was doing the uh, secretary work, and everybody to come in. I, I 
I just thought, wow, this guy has some nuts. This guy has some courage. Just, he's fearless. And I think pushing yourself to, you could have gone out and done the same thing that you've done a hundred times, but pushing yourself and trying new things, is that important to you? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I'm, you know, you're in the library, all right? So, you know, I like books. Yeah. Uh, you know, I try and read a book a week, right? And that's kind of really important to me. I, I, I say, and, and, and part of the coaching ethos is, you know, we try and teach people something. And I think that's a flawed strategy, right? And, and the reason being is we have to teach them to unlearn before they can learn. We have to teach them what they can take out before they put something in. And, and again, we, we tend to try and build people up before we understand and build a platform for the learning. Um, so for me, you know, getting feedback, being prepared to take criticism um, is a constant learning. Um, I, I did a, a presentation down at uh, Sunderland University. Mm. And uh, they asked me for the name of the presentation and I sent it down to them. And then I turned up and all these students came in and they put this first slide up. You're welcoming at the presentation. And I looked up at it and it said, don't be a misfit. And I was saying, and I turned around to the audience and said, that's not my presentation. Right. And the guy, the professor yeah. says, no, no, Morris, you sent it to us. And I says, no, that's not my presentation. I'm not doing that. Mm. I'm sorry. You know, if that's what you want me to do, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And with all these students in, he's looking at me and he's saying, what are you talking about? Right? And I says, the name of my presentation was Be a Misfit. Yeah. But because you're an academic, right, you yeah. don't want... But what we're looking for is people to be unique. You know, I say to people, be yourself because everybody else is taken. Don't be a, a bad imitation of somebody else. Try and be that kind of brilliant human being. You, know, you have a, a one in 400 trillion chance of being alive at this moment in time. What are you doing? it? Because yes. the other 399 billion, or trillion, 0.999 trillion, whatever that number is, would like to have your opportunity, but they didn't get it. You got it. This is your moment in the sun. What are you doing? It? So when you get on that stage, teach them about you. Teach them about what you believe in. Teach them what you're passionate about. Try and get that message across. But the one thing is just be you. Yeah. You know, don't try to be somebody else. This is, uh, again, coming back to maybe your the, the clerics in your family, the the, uh, the evangelical nature of Ireland. I do hear when you let fly, when you become uncontrollable as a speaker, there's almost a sense of evangelism in your passion. Oh, because the, 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 the gift that, 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 that people kind of give to me is when they say, you've changed my life. Yeah. You've changed my life. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, that's just extraordinary. How, 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 come, how can I change your life? And all I'm trying to do is to teach you some stuff that I think will help you with your life. But, you know, I was on the BBC um, and I came off the BBC and then I had a, you know, we were talking about suicide on Monday, which is, you know, anybody who's got kind of problems, yeah, please yeah. do get in help. Do, mm-hmm. Please do get help. Please do get in touch with the NHS, which yeah. has got 24 hour life. But I came off it and I got this message, you know, from uh, somebody who said, you know, I've been married for 21 years. I'm going through a really difficult divorce. You know, we're fighting over everything, but we're also fighting over our disabled child. Mm. Can you help? And I'm going, I don't know if I can, yeah. but God, I got to try. 
I got to try, right? Um, you know, if I can give you one thing, if I can give you one message, if I can give you just one thought that's going to kind of change your direction, why wouldn't I? Because the problem that we have is that, you know, we have 60 to 80,000 thoughts per day, every day, right? Oh, that's a lot of thoughts, people will say. 80 plus percent of them are negative, Right, ninety percent of them are a repeat of yesterday, yeah. so we're kind of in Groundhog Day. We're just repeating our lives. And if I can make one tiny adjustment and change the trajectory of your life, wow! Why wouldn't yeah. I do that? I, I, I'm thinking, why wouldn't anyone want to do that? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the BBC. There, Morris has been uh, presenting a feature on BBC Newcastle. I think for three years, yeah. it was, uh, the pandemic was a big part of it. And then they, they just kept you because yeah. it's a really lovely feature. But again, it's a very different style of public speaking. It's more intimate radio. It's a very different medium to standing on a big stage. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, but I've been gifted again by the presenters that I've worked with, you know, Lisa Shaw, Julie Hope, uh, Anna Foster, which have made the whole journey easy. But, you know... I, I get up on a Monday and I think, you know, of the hundreds of thousands of people who listen, yeah. if I can help one person today, you know, how, how yeah. cool am I? Yeah. Right, I just go, how cool am I? It's a It's a gift, it's a privilege, it's whatever the words you want to use it, but I'm coming out of there thinking, wow, if I have helped one person today, like, I'm and I so lucky. Yeah. Where do you want to go? You, you've... you've Conquered so many different fields in speaking, in coaching. Are there any places you'd you'd still like to tick off your list? Um, you know, I, I started life and I, I had a, I'm one of 10 kids, West of Ireland, boy, middle child. Um, you know, left home at 17, had no idea about the world. Um, ended up in uh, London, um, running a manufacturing site, which... 900 people, of which 830 of them were from the Punjab. I'd never met anybody from India. I had no idea, right? And I was clueless. But but I, I didn't know it at the time, but I, I wanted to try new things. Yeah. So I ran, I, I started in HR, I ran a manufacturing site, then I ran a submarine business, then I went I'm back into HR, and then I ran a big customer training business. And then I went from there into general management and then I went into recruitment and then I went into sales and then I went back into general management and then I ended up as executive vice president of this huge organisation. Um, and the happiest day of my life was, you know, when I drove out of, for example, a Maidenhead office park and I'd been working in this huge corporate and I took my tie off and I said, I will never wear a tie again. And you, 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 you've never yeah. seen me wear a tie. Right. So I'll never wear a tie again. And I felt this sense of release that I was going to go and actually do things which was working with individuals that somehow just seemed to kind of tug at my heart. Whereas the corporate life, you know, and and I feel sorry for my kids and I feel sorry for my ex-wife that I was so consumed by it. Whereas now I feel emboldened, I feel freer, I feel looser by just doing things that kind of come naturally or that I'm happier doing. And you, you've you met and worked with so many interesting people, sport, politics, we haven't even mentioned. You've, you're friends with, I know you know the Blairs and I know you know Alistair Campbell. Um, do you like the variety? Do you like working in sport and politics and public speaking and the Mongolian government or 
Are there any areas that you think are particularly shine there? No, no. I, I, each of them give me something different. So, like, you know, so people say, well, what would you get out of politics? What could a politician possibly tell you? God, they're so resilient. They are so resilient. You can learn about resilience from a politician, right? That's kind of a pure skill that they have, the abuse that they take on a constant basis. Right now, some people might say, you know, it's brought on themselves, but that's different. But the point being is they're, pre- they're prepared and they're able to take it. You know, in sports, it's in those nanoseconds, in those decisive moments. How do you gear yourself up when you've got that second or half a second to kind of even be a hero? Right, or to kind of be the guy who's yeah. just lost, or, or the woman who's just lost the game. Uh, and in business, we, we, we have a, a longer stretch. So each of them teach me different things. But the one thing that's consistent across all of them, they're just people. Uh, and I like working with people. That was a goodie. That was Dr. Morris Duffy. Again, someone we could have on all over again because he never runs out of things to say. He's absolutely superb and you can find him all over social media, on his website and on all the usual avenues, LinkedIn, etc. We'll have another good guest for you very soon. Please subscribe to make sure that you get the next episode of Speaker's Corner with Alfie Joey. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a good review so more people can get the chance to hear it. If you would like to get in touch with Alfie about improving your own communication skills, or you would like Alfie to speak at your company or at your event, please email info at alphajoey.com. This show was produced in Manchester, England by Jeff Downs.